Broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studios in Atlanta, it's time for On the Money, presented by Embassy National Bank. Now, here's your host, Joe Moss. The number one small business show on Business Radio X. show is presented by Embassy National Bank, and we are a nationally chartered financial institution whose deposits are Insured by the FDIC, we discuss topics that are designed to help small business succeed because at Embassy, we love what we do for small business. I'm Joe Moss, your host and president at Embassy National Bank, and uh, we're broadcasting from the Subaru of Gwinnett studio. Today, we're going to announce a couple things, and uh, we've got a really good guest on the show. Mr. Tom Hogan joins us today. Hey, Tom. Hello. Tom is a, uh, at Embassy, we've created now a residential mortgage business line, and uh, Tom has been uh, handpicked to head this effort up. So, um, Tom, why don't you give us a little background, and then we're going to talk residential mortgages. Sure. Well, listen, I uh, appreciate the opportunity to be with you today. My name is Thomas Hogan. I am from uh, here in Atlanta, down in Chambly. I have about 18 years experience in the residential mortgage business, specifically here in the Atlanta market. I took the opportunity to come to Embassy National Bank uh, to create a full service residential mortgage division for the bank. Uh, There's a lot of opportunity on the consumer side for the bank. I think that we've uh, done a good job in getting a a department set up that has both a um, a very highly competitive rate and fee structure as well as a wide uh, expanse of loan products uh, that include both the conventional FHA and VA that everybody's accustomed to having, but we've also got some very niche products that are made available through some of the investors that we work with. Yeah, and we're excited about having Tom, and and uh, we've got big hopes for the uh, for our mortgage department. A lot has changed within the residential mortgage industry. I think that's fair, right, Tom? Oh, absolutely. And uh, let's just kind of give a background. I guess it all started. Oh, I, you need to add that you're on the city council at the city of Chambly. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Fair city enough. City council member in Chambly. Fair so enough. Anyway. Thank you. A lot, I guess, because of the meltdown, just mm-hmm. if we can kind of go back and uh, talk about how we got to where we are, then Dodd-Frank came along mm-hmm. and Dodd-Frank put a lot of rules and regs onto the residential mortgage business to try to prevent the meltdown from ever occurring again and as i jokingly like to say to make sure that uh that um you are protected for me when you're doing a residential mortgage uh obviously there was a lot of greed and everything that happened and through all that but uh, at the end of the day it is what it is and and so now dodd frank is starting to implement a lot of its rules and regs yeah I think a fair thing to say is that back in the early 2000s, uh, before uh, the great bust, uh, there was just so much optimism in the financial markets because we were uh, experiencing unprecedented growth. Policymakers on the federal level really wanted to expand the opportunity for home ownership. Uh, they really lowered the bar in so many ways, but that was not alone what you know got us in trouble. Um, the financial markets uh, started to um, get increasingly sophisticated as you know folks were incentivized to bundle and package really really big you know big deals. And hindsight's always twenty twenty. But I used to joke with some of the loan officers that worked for me at the time that you know uh, if you have a seven eighty credit score, um, it's fairly uh, a good indication that you pay your bills. Um, I did not have a problem with uh, folks stating their income or stating their assets because 
it was very well proven, you know, that they um, did not uh, fail on their obligations. Mm -hmm. um, however, um, you know, I think that there was uh, a lot going on beyond the scope of my own practice. Uh, a lot of the pay option arms with negative amortizing loans, interest only features with, you know, 100% loan to values, you know, things that just really weren't prepared for a significant change in values in the marketplace. So prior to uh, the big bust, uh, there certainly were plenty of regulations already in place. You know, I think that there was a lot of concern from some of the smaller producers like myself at the time that were concerned that a lot of them weren't being enforced, frankly. Mm -hmm. um, there were a lot of kickbacks, a lot of quote-unquote marketing agreements that were just really disguised kickbacks that mortgage loan officers were able to give to construction lenders and real estate agents and that sort of thing. And I think that one, one of the things that the bus did on, uh, on a lot of fronts, not just the mortgage industry, was it brought a lot of uh, crystallization to prudent business practices. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so then you had uh, a bunch of regulators who quite, I think we can all agree, um, really do a lot of knee-jerk reaction uh, in response to a lot of the things that are failing. Um, they did go after a lot of um, uh, regulatory um, issues. But one of the things that did come from it was a change in um, in how it is that we do business. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can honestly tell you that, you know, the compliance process when you work with a good organization is going to have that paperwork prepared in a way where it makes sense. It's easily explained to you. And you should, as a good consumer, see that the new documents disclose the information to you with much more clarity now. Uh, and in terms that we're all accustomed to, to wanting to see and seeing and understanding, uh, than in the past. Now, um, a lot of phrases, I mean, I've been in the mortgage business as well, but I got away from it. And then I come back in after Dodd-Frank has passed and all the phraseology seems to be different. Mm -hmm. The closing statements are different. Mm -hmm. The ways to get paid for originating loan are different. So mm -hmm. a lot of those things have changed qualifications. Let me just ask you about a couple of those. There's this phrase out there about Qualified mortgage and a non-qualified mortgage. Sure. What What is that? Um, a qualified mortgage is a mortgage that um, does not have certain features um, attached to it. A qualified mortgage is a loan that does not have a balloon payment. It doesn't have a prepayment penalty or an interest-only feature or a negative uh, amortization. Uh, it has a, under certain circumstances, it is a loan that has a debt ratio that is below 43% which we can talk about a little bit more uh, down the road here. And the points and fees have to be less than 3% of your loan amount. So okay. that that creates a standard for a plain vanilla loan, as, how, as probably you and I would probably call it uh, outside of the the terminology. And here. then in, the, in a normal event, if you're a reasonably smart consumer mm -hmm. with your eyes wide open, that's the only mm -hmm. kind of loan that you would really want to get, isn't it? Well, you know, I mean, if you're... Uh, Sure. I mean, I think that if you are a, it really depends on the borrower's needs. I sure. mean, I think that it's fair to say that the more sophisticated the the advisor and the more sophisticated the borrower, sometimes those loan products do come into play as being meaningful financial tools. Mm -hmm. But truth be known, over the course of the past year or so, I don't know that I've written anything other than plain vanilla fixed rate mortgage or maybe one or two arms only only because you know the rates are so low and unless you really are planning to not be in that loan for very long uh with the rate with money costing what it does today mm -hmm. uh it just doesn't make a lot of sense to put yourself at jeopardy of that rate 
changing. But uh, the the arm adjustable rate does not make it a non qualified mortgage. Does not. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Okay, and um, okay, so the non qualified mortgage then is everything everything else. else. That's right. What isn't there a feeling that uh, what some about the legislation they really didn't want financial institutions or mortgage uh, bankers to make a non QM. So wasn't there some liability they assessed across the board? They did. And I think one of the things that they did as a, instead of phrasing it that they did not want it to occur, I just think they wanted the financial institution to take a little bit more responsibility for putting their money where their mouth is. And if they're going to make a recommendation for a certain type of loan product, that they should have some accountability for making sure that the borrower could repay the loan. You know, we've got this new terminology called ability to repay uh, in the mortgage world now. And it is, there are eight factors that a borrower has to uh, be assessed on to make sure that, that they've got it together. Uh, we, we talk about them having reliable income, reliable employment, having a, an affordable mortgage payment, affordable total mortgage payment, which in the business we call a PITIA, that's the principal and interest, which is the mortgage, taxes, and insurance. And if they've got homeowner's insurance. Um, Assessments, yeah. Right. Total debt ratio, um, reliable credit rating. And then, you know, one of the things that they uh, have us do is uh, sign off on the fact that we used reliable documents to actually confirm that that ability to repay exists. So, and so irrespective of QM versus non-QM, you still have to have the ability to repay. We get ability to repay, and it cannot be a high a high priced loan. We've got a third. There's actually it's a, it's a three legged stool because a high priced loan. We have this average price over rate, which is a published rate that's a cost of funds derived number. And that APOR plus a 1.5 for a first mortgage or a 3.5 for a second mortgage, your APR can't be higher than that or you're in higher price loan, which puts the lender in even more of a liability position. So when we approach a borrower, uh, we're really testing first and foremost to make sure that that borrower's in a qualified mortgage. We're also then doing a side test on whether it's a high-priced loan. Mm-hmm. And then finally, we're doing a test to make sure that they have the ability to repay. And, you know, in an old-fashioned sense, I mean, this is what we should have been doing the whole time. You know, I've always said that, to me, the quality lender or the quality banker is a debt-side financial advisor, that we just don't do a mortgage product in a bubble and mm-hmm. just pretend like all the rest of your liabilities and your income and all that stuff doesn't exist. That We, we don't just you know, smack you on the bottom and send you down the road. Uh, The reality is, is that it takes a lot of discipline to make sure that the loan product against maybe possibly the wishes of the borrower um, are actually prudent and suitable for what they are are saying that they need. So with all these rules, with all these rules in place as dictated by legislation, and by the way, you also have the the CFPD out of Dallas that are coming in and Mm -hmm. looking at things as well. How does one lender differentiate himself from another lender? We all have the QM products, your plain vanilla Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac uh, type products. But one of the things that we're seeing is that uh, each of the investors is putting together a portfolio of uh, specialty loan products. that are These are what are called non-QM or Alt-QM, ALT for alternative. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Alt-QM products are by themselves, uh, they're not the boogeyman. I mean, these are not bad loan products. These are not dangerous. These are not irresponsible. Um, they're just not qualified mortgages. And I think that it's nice as a as an initial 
sort of uh, flag for the borrower to know that this is not an ordinary loan and therefore maybe they'll uh, proceed with a little more caution. But the all QM product is phenomenal. I mean, we have, uh, uh, even at the bank, we have a um, an asset depletion program for high net worth individuals. You know, if you have a couple of million dollars in the bank, I can actually use a calculation to understand that as a function of producing an income for you. And if you don't work and don't derive an actual W-2 or a 1099 from, your, from some activity, I can still qualify you for a mortgage because they have a method that they've used to determine what that income level is going to be. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, another great example is uh, foreign nationals. You know, we have a phenomenal program for people that are not U.S. citizens and don't have a green card. These folks are foreign nationals. And we have a, a situation where in most cases you need not only to be a citizen, but also to have a, or have a social security, but also in a lot of cases to be, to be a citizen here to get a loan. Uh, and I, you know, on the surface, that makes a lot of sense. However, um, one of our investors has figured a way to be able to qualify the credit worthiness of someone that does not, that is not from here because the, you know, the barriers uh, around the country are, are going down and, you know, we've got an international financial market going on all the time. And, um, and a third way is, um, you know, for, for business owners, uh, something that we deal with a lot at the bank, right. um, we actually have a method for being able to use bank statements and deposits into those bank statements uh, in order to calculate that as their income. Uh, a lot of people have uh, a lot of incentive to write off a lot of their um, income uh, for tax purposes. Well, for a while after, after Dodd-Frank was created and the rules were being formulated, uh, the only product I remember being out there was basically QM product. It was really hard to get a non-QM product, and everybody was really tough on the ability to repay. So in a lot of respects, the markets were closed except uh, unless you were a W-2 person that fit all the right boxes. But now I, what I hear you saying is starting to open up again. Yeah, I, I think it's fair to say that there are, um, and there will continue to always be, more and more loan products coming back into the, to the market. I mean, there are... I think it's fair to say that both the equity side of our marketplace and the debt side of our marketplace are, um, they're very sophisticated places for where very smart people go to work and uh, take a look at actuarial uh, information on default rates and what risk there really is. You know, people are, they're looking for places to be able to put their money, to be able to drive a good investment. And if it's collateralized and you have a reasonable, um, you know, a reasonable report that shows that, you know, people are going to pay their bills. Um, then I think that it is, uh, it, it possibly is good. I think that, you know, just like anything else, uh, it's, it, you know, uh, there's a lot of shysters uh, out there uh, on both sides of the ball. And, you know, it really is up to a borrower to make sure that they're really working with somebody that they can trust. I mean, I think that uh, I have all the, the respect in the world for uh, brokers and, um, and mortgage, um, mortgage companies, for example. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the one of the reasons I chose to come to work with you at the bank is because I really do think that we've entered a time where trust is really important. And, um, you know, obviously we at the bank, due to the nature of how we're regulated, come under a crazy amount of scrutiny. People don't really just have to take my word for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, they can heed my advice and hear my rationale and um, listen to all the ways that I can describe what it is that I'm offering them and why it's good. But at the end of the day, they know that there is a federal regulation uh, entity that's going to come in and make sure that I did absolutely the best for that client. Right. Let's talk about the uh, the debt ratios that are out there today. And um, if you 
minimum credit scores, debt ratios, you know, the, the limit on the, on the Fannie Mae product or the FHA product and where to go if you've got, need a higher loan amount, all those types of things. So let's start with the debt ratios. Is there a maximum debt ratio that you can have these days? There is. You know, we, you know, a qualified mortgage, like I said before, uh, is a debt ratio below 43%. Right. Uh, but truth be known is you can go all the way up to, with most investors, to what the automated underwriting engines for Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac will, act- will actually allow. And that's usually up to 50%. Okay. And then, uh, and then secondary to that, there's a, a W-2 as a percent of uh, the mortgage payment. Is that correct? No. How do you, how the, do you calculate the, the – the, there's a two-tier the percentage, de- correct? Right. The debt ratios are uh, into a, what's called a front-end ratio and a back-end ratio. And that's the way it's always been. There, there are two measures that they're looking at. One – they really want to make sure that you don't go over a total limit for your total debt. Like if you make $10,000 a month, they really don't want you to go have regular minimum monthly liabilities at over 4,300 bucks. Okay. In addition to that, they don't want all of that to be in housing. They understand, uh, you know, prudence means that some of that needs to be for things other than for things other than just than housing. So like a car. So they, they, what they do is they, they create a, what's called a front end ratio. So they say, well, listen, maybe 28 or 30% just to housing and 43% total. And then those really aren't set in stone. So they really are kind of targets that we that we shoot for, making sure that when we're advising people that we're making sure that they're staying within some, you know, thresholds that will allow them the opportunity to kind of grow. Um, you're listening to On The Money brought to you by Embassy National Bank. Uh, we're, this is Joe Moss. And we're talking to Tom Hogan, who's also from Embassy National Bank, about residential mortgages. Uh, Tom is heading up our new residential mortgage initiative and excited to have an expert doing this for us. And uh, Tom's kind of talking to us about the new landscape of residential mortgages. And and we are now talking about the uh, income limitations, the ratios that you've got to meet. So these these ratios that you have, irrespective of it being qualified, a qualified mortgage, non-qualified mortgage, you got to fit within these ratios. Yeah. I mean, the, now, and does credit score have anything to do with it these days? Um, credit score does have uh, a lot to do with a mortgage. Uh, it's some, it's sort of a separate uh, qualifying factor outside of a debt ratio. Debt ratio is sort of, it's kind of its own little animal that we work with, but credit score is a completely different, different thing. You know, the mortgage industry uh, really does set its pricing now on a, a combination of your loan to value, your credit score, your property type or the transaction type. And then uh, each program is going to have its own parameters uh, for that set of circum- those sets of circumstances in whether or not a loan can be approved. So, you know, to give you an, to give you an example, the qualified mortgage products, most of the investors will just say, listen, if you can get an automated approval from Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, uh, we'll buy the loan kind of bottom line. Uh, however, you know, we talked about the portfolio products that are out there. Some of them may say, listen, get a, get an automated approval that shows that it would be approved, but not eligible to be sold to Fannie Mae. And we'll buy that maybe as long as the debt ratio is under 45, you know, but every single loan product that we have out there right now uh, is absolutely credit score driven. I mean, was it, was there a minimum out there for a while? That wasn't dictated out of Dodd-Frank, was it? You know, minimum credit scores are a funny thing. They're really a tricky thing because the truth is there are credit 
requirements that you must meet outside of just simply a credit score. The number of trade lines that you have to have open, mm -hmm. how many late you can, how many late payments you can have in the past 12 months or 30 months, and were any of those mortgage or housing related. I mean, there are just a variety of different things that they'll um, that they'll come at you with that you need to have as uh, credit related guidelines. It's very hard to meet those guidelines and still have a very bad credit score. Gotcha. Uh, so, you know, there are a lot of people that will advertise, you know, that will go down to a 580 credit score, a 560 or a 540. The, the truth is I have not had uh, much success in seeing someone get approved for a loan with a credit score below a 630 or 625. Okay. Just, so that's kind of the, that's just kind of the bottom yeah. line. Okay. Now for this ability to repay, if you're a small business owner and most of your income is K1 income, uh -huh. uh, it may come from multiple different K1s. It fluctuates. You, We have a way of taking that and qualifying it under the ability to repay. Well, you know, ability to repay is more focused on making sure that you are a consistent earner, uh, that you have some, there, there's consistency and sort of reliability in what you do. Mm-hmm. Qualifying people's income is a separate topic. A wage earner will qualify them with 30 days, most recent pay stubs, uh, assuming they've been in their line of work uh, for uh, a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And we support that with the W-2s. With a self-employed borrower or a, a high commission earner or a bonus earner, it's just the opposite. We actually qualify them over like a 24-month average of their income sources uh, as long as it's regular and consistent and increasing, uh, it can be decreasing in some instances, but we have to really justify why there was a decrease because, of course, they're lenders like we are and want to make sure that somebody's not on their way out of business, mm -hmm. frankly. And then we support that with a current year-to-date financial statement to show that they're on track to actually continue to earn that down the road. There's always been this very mystical thing about self-employed borrowers or using tax returns to qualify for mortgages or you know, those sorts of things. And I can tell you that it's every day that a good loan officer, uh, and I'm not the only one out there, but a good loan officer that really is doing his or her job can take a look at your tax returns and hear what it is that you do for a living and how you earn your money and qualify you just as quickly as they can by collecting up your W-2s and your pay stubs and crunching the numbers. Mm -hmm. Because there is, there is a real clear methodology uh, that we use uh, in, our, in our business for determining uh, if someone meets the Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac guidelines for income qualification. Now, if you're out looking for a, if you if you want to go buy a house, let's say you're pretty, not a, not necessarily a generic, well, let's just say you're a generic qualified mortgage borrower, the ability to repay and you're uh, based on your own internal calculations, look okay. Should you just go into a Wells Fargo or should you use some uh, a mortgage broker? Mm, I think that uh, consumers should use uh, those resources that they feel most comfortable with. Some people will love to go to a Wells Fargo because they've heard the brand name. Maybe they know someone that works at the bank. Um, they have comfort in having such a large company uh, as a service provider. Mm -hmm. People come to me for just the opposite reason. They come to me because they want to do business actually with me. Or, you know, they want to come come and do business with us because we're a small bank. It's uh, a lot of people feel like that there's like some economies of scale that they're going to get some cheaper deal elsewhere because of some marketing campaign that um, a bigger bank may have put on. The well, you certainly have the availability of more product <laughs> than uh, Wells may have. 
Yeah, well, Wells Fargo uh, is only going to offer, and I, I, you know, just their product. Correct. Whereas we have the opportunity to have relationships with a variety of different investors. So we have product from, uh, you know, six, seven different investors that we're capable of being able to, uh, to be able to offer meaningfully. We at, uh, at Embassy are signed up with four currently. Uh, we're really meeting the needs of our clients with those four and may add some in the future, depending on, you know, what the inflow is of our consumer base as we grow. Uh, we'll go to where our consumers are. And if they need for us to have some other type of product, we'll find it. We'll find it. And a consumer's not paying <laughs> up for using a broker. No, there's no, there's no difference really. I mean, it's, you know, when you talk about a broker, you're talking about simply somebody that's closing loans in, in somebody else's name. It's like and, a, tra it's like a travel agent. And the market is going to keep the rates the same. The, the broker will end up getting paid, but the institutional guy is going to take less because he doesn't have to pay the origination costs that someone like a Wells Fargo or a nation's bank, a B of A may have to pay. I, listen, I think for a, uh, for a, a standard mortgage, um, it's really hard to find someone that is super cheap, and it's also hard to find somebody that's super expensive. I think that everybody basically pays attention to the market pressures uh, in the market that they're working and really tries to make themselves competitive. Yeah, and I think if you're, unless you're squeaky clean, real squeaky clean, and there aren't many of us out there that are really squeaky clean, I think it's the best deal to go to a broker, a, more, a, a good mortgage broker, so they can find you the best deal for the kind of framework or financial framework that you live in. I couldn't agree with you more. I think the idea is that everybody listening to this show or watching online is going to be able to identify with something about their overall credit qualifying character or their package, if you will. And there may be a, an employment gap. There may be a, a lack of savings. There may be a um, a credit blip. I mean, there are, they may, be, they may want to purchase a unique property. Maybe they're wanting to refinance a property that they bought from their mother's brother. I right. mean, there's all kinds of crazy stuff that happens when it comes to lending. And I think that a mortgage provider that doesn't make themselves available to multiple products leaves a lot of opportunity on the table because if people don't think that you're a solution, they won't come back to you for fear that you're not going to be their solution. And one of the things that we really insist on at Embassy is making sure that we have a great solution for our customers. You know, we've, we're focused on conventional FHA, VA. We're focused on foreign national business owners, high net worth individuals. And, you know, let's not forget, that, you know, we've got a great program set up for people that are investment property owners. Right. You know, uh, we're doing a lot of things at Embassy, not only for the the investor who is redeveloping a house that wants to live in it or sell it or rent it or whatever, we can handle that. There's a lot that we're doing within this whole mortgage realm that's actually pretty exciting. Yeah, I think the, you know, the bank's renovation program to me is, is exciting. It's phenomenal. I think that there is you know, an opportunity for people that have some money to come in and to kind of get into the system and to kind of understand how we do business and eventually be able to walk out and get deals done quickly and efficiently and make some really good money with this with the program that we have. Right. Um, let's talk about loan amounts. So there, what is the, the, the cutoff now for the uh, FHA loan product? 
Isn't it 437? No, you're talking, the conventional uh, loan is 417. 417. 417. And what happens if it's over 417? It's a jumbo loan. Becomes a jumbo loan. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make it a a non-QM. It's still a qualifying, can still be a qualifying mortgage, correct? That's right. And you still have to go through the ability to repay calculation. You do because it really becomes a function of liability that the investor has. Remember, it's not a function of your ability to qualify. It's really about the investor or the lender being willing to make you the loan. Correct. Because they're they're taking on the the liability of your default and the consequences that that might have that might come on their shoulders from the pool of investors that where they're getting the source of funds in the first place. And it's up to us, the mortgage broker to put you into the right jumbo product. Absolutely. So if you're, if you're wanting to come in with a jumbo loan, I think it's important that you get with a really good mortgage broker to put Mm -hmm. you in the right jumbo product. And not all jumbos are created equal. Oh uh, yes. We all know that. Okay. I mean, we've got, we've got some of the, we've got access to some of the thinnest, most, fantastically qualified product that comes in at the cheapest possible rates known to man. And we have some access to some programs where they'll take a 660 credit score. Uh, They'll take a little bit of a higher debt ratio. They'll allow you a higher, we've got a 90% purchase product with no mortgage insurance up to a $750,000 loan size. I mean, we, there's a lot of flexibility in some of the products that we have available to us that are, uh, that really are what make us special because it's not just being able to be a good mechanic. You know, you got to work at a shop where you have all the tools available to you to work on all the cars that come in the door. You know, Uh, this is on the money brought to you by embassy national bank. And we're talking residential mortgages with Tom Hogan, who is starting a mortgage group here at embassy national bank. So in the old days, I know that, uh, on a, anybody could walk in and put 50% down and get a mortgage. Mm Mm-hmm. Those days have changed, correct? Or can that still happen irrespective of credit, where the money's coming from, et cetera? Yeah, no, the secondary market, which is uh, the way that we characterize the fact that we sell loans to other investors, has no product available to it that actually goes through the loan process without qualifying somebody for the mortgage. That just doesn't exist. I mean, so they're just not making loans anymore on the value of the house. That's right. You know, there is uh, one of the great things about being part of a bank is that there are, you know, once in a blue moon, an opportunity where we have a phenomenal borrower who has all the ability that we know to show that they'll make a loan payment. And there may be some weird glitch and we know that they're a phenomenal risk. And that might be something that we would uh, consider doing at the bank you know, uh, to, to bridge that borrower over mm-hmm. until they could get uh, something fixed or repaired. You know, that, that brings me up to something that I wanted to make sure that we touch on today. You know, I work with a couple of different real estate groups and a couple of them uh, in particular. And I've got a, um, a methodology or approach that I have for how we deal with people that aren't exactly perfect. And um, I call it um, the harvesting, the harvested pipeline. It is not uncommon for someone to come to me and for them to have credit issues or um, lack of savings or whatever. You know, a lot of other mortgage groups are really um, geared toward closing that loan that's available to them today. And if the loan is not available, that they consider it really kind of to be a waste of their time. Mm-hmm. And they tell the folks, hey, you know, call me back in, 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 you know, in six months or a year or whatever. 
Um, our, uh, I take a lot of pride in the fact that we've got a, a program that we've set up uh, where we'll actually uh, give that borrower basically a prescription of financially what it is that they need to do, uh, whether it's uh, achieving a savings level or meeting some sort of a timeline in terms of the stability of their time on the, on the job, or God forbid that we do debt side consulting for our borrowers and we show them a debt reduction strategy that will, over the course of six months, not only reduce their debt, but also probably have a profound impact on their credit, their score. credit score. And we check in with them quarterly and we ask them, you know, here, we told you that you had to do these five things. And here we're wanting to check in on with you on a monthly basis to make sure that you're on target, because you know what, after five or six months, you're probably going to be, a, maybe not six, depends on the, on the borrower, but either six or 12 or 18 months, you're going to be in a position to buy your home. And the real tragedy to me is that how many of those folks walk into a mortgage company and because they don't meet muster, uh, get shown the door and never get yeah. really shown how to empower themselves through this home ownership experience, you know? It's, it, is, it is fascinating because <laughs> at the end of the day, a lot has changed, but then again, not a lot has changed. I mean, what hasn't changed is the fact that you, the consumer, need to sit down with your finances and make a careful decision as to what, what kind of house you can afford. Yep. And over the long term, are you going to be able to afford that house? And then going to and taking advantage of, of, of the market and finding to make sure you get the best deal. So in, in that respect, things really haven't changed. Uh, it's really still come up to the consumer to try to, to, to get the best deal and stay within their means. On the other side, things have changed is that you, if you're an uneducated borrower and there are people out there, the first-time homeowners, et cetera, there, are, there is legislation in place that, that, that keeps a, a mortgage originator who has no vested interest in the loan. It'll keep them from taking advantage of somebody like that. Sure. So, I mean, there are benefits in it, but, but then again, you know, even if you're a first-time home buyer, I think it's a wonderful thing to try to buy a house, but... Um, you need to stay within your, your budget and don't overreach. So many people overreached. You can call it their fault, the originator fault, whoever fault it was. The fact of the matter, they did overreach and we've had a disaster as a result of all that. You know, I, I think that um, what you're, how that could be kind of summed up is, you know, it's still about good advice. Mm -hmm. It's still about good counseling. It's still about being able to work with a group that has the know-how that has products, that has um, experience and patience, uh, somebody that understands you, uh, that understands what it means to, to be over-obligated, yet to have kids that want to have a great Christmas. And so you feel the pressure to kind of continue to push out into more obligation. I mean, all of those, all of the pressures of the extended consumer, uh, I think those are, those are unchanged. Uh, you know, people still have pressures to uh, spend more than they have. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that I, yeah, I take a lot of pride in is, uh, you know, having an approach to working with people where I talk about prudence and we talk about, you know, what is affordable and it's not about, you know, getting in that home while today, while you're looking at that home, seems like the end all be all, you got to hang some curtains and you got to buy a sofa no, yeah. and you know, your kid, by the way, still wants to go to the YMCA and play basketball. So there are a lot of other things that we need to make sure that we're aware of that bring the customer to a point of realizing that this is an important financial decision that needs to be handled outside of the emotion that's usually involved with being in love with a home or that sort of thing. 
you know, quite frankly, the the realtor who is showing you the house somewhat incented to get you in a house maybe at the top of your reach. However, a mortgage person, if they're doing their job right, is to put you in the in in the house that you can legitimately afford. And just remember, guys, five years down the road, stuff can happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the probability? I think there's a probability of going on disability at some point in your life is 30%, something <laughs> like that. It's, uh, you know, things can happen. You can lose your job. You know, it's a tough world out there these days. You know, I, c- I can tell you, you touched on the relationship that the lender has with the, um, uh, the real estate agent. And I can tell you that the real estate agents that I work with, and I do this on purpose, are all geared and have the same philosophy and mindset that I do. Put them in the right house. Put them in the right house at the right price. Make sure that they can be a customer for you in the future. Because if you if you harm them, not only do they go away, but they're going to tell everybody how you harmed them. Right. And that's not going to do anybody any good. Right. And, uh, you know, the, the folks that, you know, if anybody's looking for a real estate agent, uh, they can come to me and, and I'll point them in the right direction. Uh, because I do work with several that are awesome. Uh, now, we don't get paid for that, by yeah, the way. Absolutely. So. Well, listen, that's our show for the day. Tom, thanks so much for, we probably ought to do this again. There's okay. still a lot of uh, questions and things about mortgages that we could go through. But I, I think the the message that, that I hope we're sending is that the mortgage markets are back open. Uh, still a good deal to buy a house. And uh, if you want good advice to get the right house and get the right mortgage, come to Embassy National Bank and we'll do what's right for you because we like to help people. It's not necessarily about the, the profit for us, but we do like helping people because in the long term, that's what uh, keeps people coming back. Yeah. So, Tom, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm what at- is your cell phone number, by the way, so people get in touch with you? Four, uh, 404-591-2500. I don't uh, know how you ever got that 2500 on the back end, but lot, a lot don't of, lose it. A lot, of, a lot of being very difficult with a, a telephone person a long time ago. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, um, that's our show for today. This <laughs> has you. been On the Money, the number one small business show on Business Radio X. On the Money is presented by Embassy National Bank. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at on underscore the underscore money and then the number one. Uh, you can listen to any of our shows by visiting the on the money dot business radio X dot com website, download our shows or just listen on iTunes. And we're also out there under the YouTube channel of business radio X dash Gwinnett YouTube channel. So real good conversation today about mortgages and uh tom again i appreciate you being on the show until next time this is uh joe moss at embassy national bank and as we always say especially now be careful out there leave fear in the back seat and by all means stay authentic so with that we'll see you next time thank you